Hey guys, welcome back to Couples Chatting About Infertility. On this episode, I got the chance to sit down and talk with Alyssa. She's an infertility warrior who has been trying to conceive for about 20 months. She is so kind and has an incredible attitude and perspective. She opens up about her entire infertility journey thus far, how she chose to be open with her family, friends, and work about what she was going through from the beginning, and how she is able to keep moving forward every single day despite all of the challenges and setbacks that come along with infertility and the heartaches that she's already faced. She is one strong woman. Her story is absolutely inspiring, and it's not even over yet. We talk about what it's like being educators while going through infertility ourselves, the roller coaster ride of emotions that come along with going through IVF, and so much more. It was so incredible talking with Alyssa. I'm rooting so hard for you in your journey, girl. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. this opportunity to chat with you. I can't thank you enough for just coming to talk to me more about your journey and your lifestyle, and I just can't thank you enough for being here. Good. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to chat all things infertility. All things infertility. (laughs) So you are in California, is that right? Yeah, my husband and I live in San Francisco. Um, We were both born and raised in the Bay Area, um, left for college and grad school, and then came back and moved into the city. That's awesome. So what is life like there right now with COVID? It's different. It's sad because we love the city for so many reasons, and so many of those reasons, you know, we aren't able to go to our favorite restaurants or our favorite shops and we can't just stroll down you know the our favorite corridor without feeling bad like we shouldn't be out without a reason um it's quiet a lot there's been a big exodus a lot of people have left um you know it's just it's a different world right now but it's still the city we love so we're hanging on and we're hoping that you know in a few years time, it will be back to normal. I know. It just feels so weird, like not knowing when things are going to get back to somewhat normal, you know, like what a new normal is going to look like. But um, something else that stood out to me was I saw, are you close to the beach? Yeah. So we live, well, San Francisco is not very big. It's only seven miles by seven miles. So you're kind of like, wherever you are in the city, you can really get anywhere within 20 minutes. Um, but we live in the heart of the city in Cool Valley and the beach is about a seven minute drive from our house. Oh, so, so jealous. we, yeah, we just kind of go down the highway and, and we're there. So I was at Ocean Beach last night. Okay. That's beautiful. Now has being close to the beach kind of helped you or is it therapeutic for you at all? Like with everything that you go through, infertility related I'm like oh my god the beach is like the best place to be able to go to just unwind 
Yeah, that's why I went last night. But to be honest, we never go. And I think it's because we live, I mean, you live in a city. And so we walk everywhere and we can't walk to the beach and we don't drive a lot. So I, we just forget that we live like on the coast because we're in a major city. So last night we were joking, like it feels so strange that one second we're looking up at huge buildings and the next second we're on a quiet beach um, looking out into nowhere. So yeah, I mean, last night it was super therapeutic. It's also cold in San Francisco, so it's not like, you know, an LA beach, but you know, I stuck my feet in the sand and my toes in the water and just kind of ran around and it was really nice. It's a good distressor. Yeah. I feel like something that I picked up on later on throughout the journey was how therapeutic like getting out in nature is and just like getting outside, whether you take a hike or walk or even the beach, it's just, it helps to like just de-stress and kind of ground yourself again, you know? Yeah. It's super helpful. I, I actually was talking to a friend yesterday and she's like, you need some grounding. And I laughed because we have artificial grass in our backyard. And I was like, that doesn't work. It's plastic. (laughs) I need need to put my feet in the sand. That's so funny. Well, so something else that I thought was super cool that I wanted to chat with you about was I know you're in education. Yeah. So what do you do? So I'm a product manager, which is like um, really well known in San Francisco and like major cities, but I feel like a lot of other people from other areas are like, what is that? So um, I build education software. So I work with designers and and engineers to help build digital software to help students learn how to read. So um, we're like a guided reading platform. We service a lot of the students in the United States, a lot of Title I low-income schools, um, a lot of underprivileged students. And then I also own my own literacy company. So I do one-on-one intervention with students. So I have private clients that I see on top of my day-to-day job. So that is amazing. very busy. <laughs> that's amazing. So that's so cool. So I am an elementary teacher. But I think that's so interesting because I work at a Title I school. And so they use a lot of different programs like, you know, paper, but also the kids work on the computer. And I think that's so cool. So you're the one that helps build the programs. And then you also do the one-to-one. So has it been affected much since COVID, like good or bad? I'm thinking you'd probably be a lot busier. Yeah, I I feel bad saying this, but... Like business has been really great. I'm sure. um, my like my private business, uh, my literacy coaching has just like skyrocketed because people in the Bay Area now I can work with students who aren't just in my immediate um, radius, but I can work with students who are all over the Bay Area who can Zoom with me. So I see about five students a, a day, um, wow. and then our company Booknook is the name of our digital um, reading company, and we are just pivoting really fast, really hard to make sure that we, you know, can help students who are in the classroom, can help students who are at home, can help students who are doing remote learning and just making sure that we're supporting students in every um, kind of tunnel there. So yeah, it's been, it's been really good. It's been hard, as you know, as a teacher, it's like, what is the world right now? This is not the best for students. Like we're hurt. They're hurting for so many reasons, but it's nice to know that we can all work together to make sure that 
and we're I supporting them like, the best we can. No, you're so right. And it's been such a stressful time for teachers and parents. But then you think about the kids and how much they've been affected or even, you know, a lot of I live in Maryland and most of the schools are doing virtual learning until at least January 2021. Yeah. And it's like, imagine all these kids that their life is just changed. And I also think about, you know, what you said with Title One and the unfortunate thing for me, even just finishing the year with virtual learning was there's so many different types of kids and different backgrounds that they come from. Some of them had the support at home. Some of them were barely able to get on for our meetings. And so it's tough feeling like they were just left all over the place. And even knowing that we're going back into that, you know, this coming year, but that's great for you. Now, how did you develop your own like business, your own literacy business? That's so cool to me. Yeah, so I was a teacher and I taught in Sacramento at a low income school um, right out of while I was getting my master's and then after. And um, I moved to the city and I knew like I loved teaching. I had worked with children my my whole life. Um, And I just I knew that I wanted to work with children, but I wanted to make a bigger impact than I felt I was able to do in the classroom. Like I was already burnt out. I, I just, and I just, I really, really loved teaching children how to read because it's almost instant. Like you see that light bulb go off in their heads and you're like, you got it. This is amazing. So, um, I just did some digging and used my network and I was like, I'm just going to put feelers out there and create this curriculum that using my, you know, expertise and, um, kind of just market myself and see what happens. And, you know, I got a few clients and then got some more and then I hired a few people and I really felt like it was just, there's a lot of like tutoring around here, but there's not a lot of like intervention, um, access to like one-on-one, like prescribed intervention where it's like, this is meeting, the scope and sequence is meeting your students' needs, like your individual students' needs. Um, yeah, so That's I just kind of so started, cool. I started, I think, six years ago, and now my husband helps me. He does all the, like, I call him my CFO. He likes to call himself his my CFO and CEO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he helps me, and, and I do all of the day-to-day stuff, and That's so it's cool. been great. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing about that. So yeah. talk to me about going through infertility as a teacher. I know that it has been about 19 months for you, you shared, since you guys started trying. But did it ever come to a point where you were just like, oh my God, this is so hard? Yeah. Um, Yeah, we're at, I think, 20 months now. And when we first started trying, I had already been through like surgeries and stuff. So we knew that there were some complications that we could run into, but everyone just kept telling me I was fine. And so it, it it was very quick. Like we did not try for a year before we reached out to someone. Like it was a few months. And then I was like, I'm not doing like, something's not right. See me, see me sooner. And I basically just was like, forget about, um, my normal insurance and went straight to the fertility, like private fertility clinic. Um, and it was hard. I mean, it's hard 
working with children and like fighting for a child. Um, But it's also really beautiful because there's such a great distraction. And so I, I struggled with people always say like, how do you schedule? Like, how do you, how are you able to schedule um, around like your work? And like my tech company is amazing. They give me unlimited time off, unlimited vacation. Uh, like they don't, they, I never have to worry there, but it's my students who I worry about yeah. because I see so many a day and I would just always feel so awkward telling parents like, oh, sorry, have to cancel last minute. Or yeah. So I started just being open with the parents and I started just telling them like, we're going through IVF. And so many of them were like, oh, I did that. Like, oh my God. so-and-so is an IVF baby. And that made me just like want to hug my student a little bit harder. Yeah. And, you know, when I got pregnant and I was going through everything that we were going through, like it, it, I, I never resented the students that I was working with. Instead, like they just kept me going and they put smiles on my face. And it, it's hard. It's like this like struggle of like, you're reminded that you don't have a kid and here's a child in front of you that you love and you're working yes. with regularly. But then it's like, you don't have your own child, but you're thankful that you have this child or yeah. these children that you're working with. Yeah. It's so, to me, it like, it, I got past the point of it being painful because as teachers, it's like we go into the profession because we truly love children and that's what we love to do is teach and, you know, watch them grow and learn. But it is, it's hard because you are invested so much in your class or your 10, 20 kids that you, you know, are instructing and there's definitely a void there when you are when you're fighting for your own family and it's like the one thing you want more than anything but yet you're surrounded by all these other beautiful babies who love you so much and think you're like the most amazing teacher in the world when you're a basket case at home you know what I mean and it's really really tough but I feel like that was the one one of the things that I was so drawn to about right away was just how open you seem with your story from the beginning. So even the fact that you shared it with the parents of your kids, I'm like, wow, I can't believe you just, you know, were so brave to be able to do that. Because I feel like something big that we talk about and that we've talked about to so many other people is just how, because infertility is so like not talked about, it's almost uncomfortable to talk about it but yet when you bring it up or when you might say you know hey this is what I'm going through you meet like so many other people who are like oh I went through IVF too or oh my sister went through IVF you know and it's like there's so much more understanding when you're just authentic with it yeah I think I remember the week of my egg retrieval I had one student that um I saw. Yeah. And she, I like waddled to her house. I was like, I can go, I can go see them. Like it's my one student that I go to. And I I remember getting there and I was so tired and bloated. And I was like, I shouldn't have done this. And the mom looked at me and she didn't know about IVF yet. And and she said like, Oh my gosh, I was like that too. Um, after IVF and I was like, Oh, you did IVF. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, well, that's just what I had done. Then we found out we go, we went, she went to my clinic and in San Francisco. And then I found out that her daughter was born at 23 weeks and survived. So now I have this student who's an IVF baby who was born at 23 weeks, who survived, who is like 
my favorite little girl in the world. And now I have this amazing connection with the mom. And then when we lost our son at 23 weeks, she was just beyond supportive and not every mother knew what to say. I've told almost all of my clients and not all of them know what to say. A lot of them just kind of say like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like some of them check in, some of them don't. Um, but no one is ever mean about it. Yeah. I will say, I think people get hurt a lot because they tell people and then they expect people to open up space for them to discuss it or check in on them. And not everyone does that because it makes them uncomfortable or because they don't have the space themselves or because they don't understand the depth of it. So I think like my, I had to set expectations and I was like, I'm going to be, we're going to be open about this. We're going to tell everyone, but not everyone's going to be a support person for us. Um, And we live in a pretty progressive area where there's nobody telling me like IVF is wrong. And it's very common in San Francisco. So, you know, we weren't met with any, like, you shouldn't be doing this. You're going against, you know, what we believe in. Um, And I know a lot of people are like their families don't believe in that and stuff. So we were really lucky in that sense, but I found that opening up to people was just, I no longer had to explain myself, which was nice. Now, so I want to ask you, when you first, I know you shared that you guys really kind of tried for about six months until you were like, nope, I'm going right to the RE, like, let's get to it. And I think that's so awesome. When you decided to do that, were you open about it from the beginning, just with like close family, friends, work, like everybody, you were kind of like, hey, we've been trying, now we're going to start IVF. Yeah, I think we didn't really tell anyone the first few months when we were trying because yeah. we weren't like really trying. Yeah. We were just kind it's of like trying. The trying, not trying. Yeah. And I didn't like, it's so funny because all of my friends have babies and are pregnant now, but back then only one or two had babies and no one was pregnant. So, and we had just gotten married and I didn't want people to be like, you just got married. Chill. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, cause people say that. Yeah. And then, um, like come like May, it hadn't happened yet. And I started just kind of telling my friends like, oh, but I'm not worried about it. And then we went, I I kept asking um, my OB and finally she just kind of said like, oh, we'll run these blood panels. So I told people like, oh, we're running some tests. And then um, I decided just because I wanted to go speak to an RE on my own time. Like I didn't want to wait for insurance to like approve me and like do all of that. So I just went into an RE's office and he sat me down and he's like, you need IVF. And I think I called my mom and I told all of my friends probably within like two days. Yeah. That's amazing. I was excited. I mean, I didn't realize. (laughs) Like I know. And that's the other thing is at the beginning when you first start IVF, it's like, you are, you're so excited and there's so much emotion that you can't even begin to like describe going into it. But then you so quickly realize how it's like the furthest thing from easy. Like it sounds like it's supposed to just be like, oh, IVF, I'm going to do an egg retrieval. Then they're going to fertilize the eggs and then I'm going to, and it's just like everything but that there's so much in between that happens. And then you realize like, there's not even a guarantee. And I remember my husband and I felt the same way. Like we wanted our own biological child so badly. We had tried for many years. We did IUIs. We did Clomid before that. So for us, when we got to IVF, we kind of felt like it was like, 
the last step a little bit and we Mm -hmm. felt like we had put all our eggs in that basket like okay this is what's going to give us our child that we've been wanting so badly and then you just realize how scary like things cannot go you know exactly like you maybe picture it's so scary like you said well and you're I think my journey leading up to IVF was not hard. It was not heartbreaking. It was not lengthy. Yes. And like your journey leading up yes. to IVF is, was so hard and so lengthy. And you were already kind of just defeat, felt, feeling defeated. Whereas like I walked into the RE's office and I was like, great. Like we've only been trying for six months. I knew I had some anatomy issues. Yeah. Didn't realize this was going to be it, but you know what? Like we have the means to do IVF. We don't have to think about it. Like I said, yes, my husband wasn't with me. And I told the doctor, yes. And then I called my husband on the phone and he's like a little bit more, like I'm very impulsive and he's a little bit more like, wait, what are the facts? What's what's the data? And he's just like, all right, this is what we have to do. Let's do it. And even the doctor sat me down and he was like, Alyssa, you're young. You have no hormonal issues. You'll be okay. Like we'll get eggs. We'll get embryos. Your husband doesn't have any issues. So we were not worried. He did tell me like pregnancy was going to be hard for me because of my anatomy. But we had like no idea how many layers we would peel back before getting a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still finding out new stuff. I feel like every month I find something out. And you realize almost every month, like there, it is, it's like, there's something new that comes up or, you know, there's something extra that you can do to, you know, and I remember when we had our first initial consultation, the other thing that I think is so interesting is it seems like some REs like really push for the PGS testing, PGT and others don't. And I thought it was interesting because like the way that my RE had described it as like, this is, you know, I'm going to recommend you doing this. So that way you can make sure you're transferring, you know, the only the best quality embryos and embryos that will have a chance at implantation. And then you talk to other people that are like, well, there are, you say they don't really believe in it, or there's never been anything that's really that, you know, obvious that it's completely effective. And that's something that's also hard, too, because I feel like so many people have to make that decision up front, kind of. Like, after you have your egg retrieval, after you're kind of waiting on those numbers, it's like, now what? You can do a fresh transfer. You can freeze all and, you know, get your embryos tested. There's so many different things. And then blood work and the ERA. It's just, it's never ending. Yeah, I think... Like we just jumped into it all and we were under, like we, both of us were just like, we will follow the data. And if you show us any data that shows that like one thing will increase our chances, the slimmest amount, then like, we'll do it. Like no matter the cost, no matter the length, like we, like to us, we felt like a frozen transfer was better than a fresh transfer. And that was going to delay me two months, but I was like, but if it increases my, like my personal chances, if the doctor thinks like for my case, it's going to increase my chances, then like, that's what I'm going to do. And we, I mean, my clinic had us go, they did a karyotype on both of us just to be sure we were clear, which is like still pretty surface level. Like, obviously we found something through an exome that was like hidden. Um, but we did that and we both came back clear and we were both young. We were both under 32 at the time. And we still were like, why not? Let's do PGS. Now we had 12 embryos. If we didn't and we only had three, then I would, might feel differently yeah. because I would be so scared to lose those. 
because they were abnormal. Um, and so I, I don't know, like we had enough for me to feel like, okay, even if I lost half of them or sorry, we had 17 embryos. And I was like, even if I lost half of them, I would be okay. And we got 12 normal, yeah, that's amazing. which was amazing. And now we have half of that because half of those had my defect. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm super thankful for all of that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just, there's, it's overwhelming and you talk to people and they're like, Oh, well, my Ari said this and my Ari said that, but it's for us, we just followed like yes. the data that we were presented with and what my doctor said specifically yes. for me. Mm-hmm. And looking back, like I probably should have asked more questions, but I didn't know the questions to ask. Yeah. And you learn those questions along the way. And I feel like when you look back to where you kind of started to where you are now, you probably feel like so different because you really do. There's so much like accountability that you end up taking And it's like, you want to make sure that you're giving yourself and your babies the best chance at what you're really aiming for, you know? Absolutely. So I'm like, I'm so inspired by you. I'm just inspired by your positivity, by your strength. You're so brave. And even just reading your story and talking to you, I get the chills from head to toe because I just admire you so much for being so open with something that seems so challenging hard, devastating, heartbreaking to me. And I think that's another thing that I've really struggled with throughout my journey. So when I see all of these other women who aren't like me, I'm so drawn to them because I'm like, oh my God, she's such a badass. Like, you know, just we realize how, you know, I love the term infertility warrior because we really are all warriors in our own ways. The beautiful thing about it is everybody's story is so different And it, you know, everyone goes through their own journey and it's just amazing to me to see the bravery of so many women who just share like an open book. Will you talk to me more about like your journey a little bit, how you guys went through your egg retrieval? I know you got pregnant in October of last year. Yeah, Well, first of all, thank you. I try... Like, I know I posted something the other day and it was like, I know sometimes it seems like I hold it all together, but like, I really don't. I mean, I, I, I'm not, sometimes I feel like I'm not strong and it's really hard. So thank you. I really appreciate your kind words. Um, but yeah, so we, I did my egg retrieval in 2019, um, July, August, um, it was super successful. Um, we got 17 embryos. We sent them off for PGS testing, got the results back, had 12 embryos. I was like, this is amazing. We're so lucky. And I don't think I really understood the depth of others' pain at that time. So I was just, I was thankful, but I didn't, like, if I did, if I got that now, I would be like, oh my gosh, that this is just the best thing that yeah. could ever happen. Yeah. Um, and then we took a month off before my return before my um, feet and I was like, we went to New York and just had so much fun and like last raw, drank wine and food and came back, um, did a transfer and it worked. Um, The pregnancy was like very, very hard to begin with because I was so high risk because I have two uteri, so I have two uteruses. We transferred the embryo into one of my uteruses, 
uteri, whatever the plural is uteri. Yeah. Um, and the doctor was scared. He was like, this is not common. Like, this is not ideal. So we are going to watch you like a hawk. Mm-hmm. So also his beta didn't double. So I had to do three betas because his second beta come, came back and was like 0.5 shy of doubling. Okay. And my clinic has a very strict rule that they want to see it double. So 0.5, they still were like coming for a third. So I was just a mess. And yeah. then I came in and we saw his heartbeat. We heard his heartbeat. I didn't know it was a boy. Um, they had hit, they had hid that from me and we graduated from the clinic, the IVF clinic after three ultrasounds. Um, at week nine, I continued on my medicine week 12. I went in to see my OB. She was like, this is great, but you're high risk. So this, these are the steps we're implementing to ensure a successful pregnancy. Yeah. She was like, we're giving you an MFM. We're giving you a high, high risk OB, um, make that appointment and we'll see you back. So I was seeing my OB for just like my checkups. Like, how are you doing? How am I doing? Yeah. And then I was seeing my MFM for um, just high risk stuff. And then I was seeing my OB for my cervix. So (laughs) my high risk OB. So I had three doctors overseeing me um, and I started to go in every other week for ultrasounds. And then we did the, we opted for the NIPT test that came back telling us that um, and the first, so in California, you have first trimester screenings, yeah. second trimester screenings, and then you have the NIPT, which you can choose to do. Yes. We were like, yes, all the tests, give us all the mm-hmm. tests. First trimester screening said, um, he had Down syndrome. Okay. And we were like, what the hell? Right. No, because he doesn't. you did the PGS PGS. Yeah. PGS told us he doesn't have Down syndrome. They were like, let's do NIPT. Did NIPT. He doesn't have Down syndrome. That was like a great week. We were so happy. Then she was like, let's do second trimester screening. Second trimester screening. He has Down syndrome, but it's no longer one in 20. It's one in 70 chance. We're like, okay, that's still really high. One in 20 was scary high. One in 70 is is still high. She was like, let's do an amnio. So then we did an amnio, which is- How many weeks were you about when you did the amnio? Like you said second trimester- I was 16 weeks, okay. so I did it the first week that you can do it. You can do a CVS, I believe, up until 14 weeks, and then an amnio is, like, around the 16-week okay. mark. So at that point, I was 16 weeks. We did the amnio. It was super – I was really scared, but it wasn't that bad. It was okay. just a needle, and you watch the baby, so you see that he's okay. Yeah. And the amnio showed he was clear, and that was, like, the best day of my pregnancy. I was like, this baby is viable. This baby is healthy. This baby is okay. That's when we announced to everyone that we were pregnant. Not just, like, my IVF friends or close friends or family. Like, we announced to everybody that we were pregnant. Then um, I was at a 17-week scan, my first ever appointment by myself yeah. because we thought I was fine. Yeah. And they couldn't th- – th- it was – they were just checking my cervix and she said, I'm like, if you don't mind, like, can I just look at the bit? Can we take a look at the baby to make sure, you know, we have some extra time. Let's just do a short anatomy scan. And they were like, it, it, the baby was not grown. Like the measurements were not where the, it, they should have been. Yeah. And he was not growing as expected. And they couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. And they're like, okay, well, it's still really early. Like you're, I think I was only 17 or 18 weeks yeah. at that point. They're like, come in in two weeks. Cause then the baby will grow more. Right. Then we came in at two weeks at 20 weeks and they were like, we're still seeing stuff come in 
again um, for an MRI. Okay. And so then we had to go in for an MRI. Now, when you were, so when you went in for that, like, two weeks later then, were they able to give you any more information? Like, they just knew something didn't look right? Because I feel like that had to be so scary to you. Like, tell me more. Yeah, so we ended up meeting with one of the top Bay Area urolo- pediatric urologists because they thought that it was hypospadia, which yeah. co- which is common in IVF babies. And that. it's, yeah, super quick fix. Like when the baby is born, it's a surgery, maybe two surgeries if it's severe. So I joined like a hypospadia mom group. I read about it. I freaked myself out about it, but I was like, we can do this. Yeah. Like, this is okay. I felt so bad for him, but I was like, this is okay. And all this and time, common- Alyssa, I'm sorry, but all this time they were kind of just saying, this is what we think it is, but we're not exactly sure. That's why we want you to come back again. So we can like really try and yeah, they were just trying to stay on top of you. Yeah, so they were seeing me every seven days, and they would sit us in a big conference room, and they would bring in, they brought in the head of OBGYN, like, he gave us his cell phone number, like, they brought in a genetic counselor, they brought in um, a maternal fetal medicine doctor, they brought in a high-risk doctor, and they brought in a pediatric urologist. Wow. And, like, they saw us so often and just they gave us so much information but no one could promise that was it I see so they were like this is what we think is going on but we're not a hundred percent certain and we weren't mad at them because we're at UCSF which is a really amazing well-known worldwide hospital and we were with the head of the OBGYN department we were he you know like he was the first ever OB to operate on a baby in the womb and have it be successful. And so I, I was never like mad at them. I, I was just like, please tell me what's going yeah. on. And we didn't, we were like, we didn't think that it would ever lead to anything that was like fatal or life-changing. Um, then we had our MRI showed clear. I mean, it, sh- it, it still showed like abnormalities, but like nothing super severe. And then they were like, we have one more thing we can do. And it's a full axon gene sequencing test. And it's going to look at all, like every single chromosome in so much granular depth that it will tell us if something is missing. And they they did it with the baby. So they did a microarray with the baby's genetics. Um, How are they able to do that? I I mean, I don't know. And people tell me all the time that like, they had to pay one woman reach out and was like, we had to pay $20,000 and wait six months for this test. And I just, I've never been so thankful in my life. Like UCSF was so amazing to do this. They did it in 12 days for me. You have amazing doctors. So we did that and we went in that morning and like I had seen him on the ultrasound. We did an ultrasound with him. He was super, super, we had just felt him kick from the outside. Like he was really active what seemed to be really healthy. And, um, we went in that morning and they basically sat us down once again at a conference table with a million doctors. And they said like, your baby carries a very, very, very rare genetic defect. And he inherited it from you and you're okay because you're a female and it, um, impacts testosterone. And my family is all women. So this has been passed down without anyone knowing And, um, I just, 
like knowing that it was my fault and knowing that we did genetic testing, we did a karyotype, we did an amnio, like we did everything we thought we could do. And it was so small and so rare that nothing, like if we didn't do this test, we wouldn't have known. Um, and they basically told us what his life would be like if he was, if he was viable. Um, and the doctor had only seen, there's a few different like levels of it. And it was the most severe. And the doctor had only seen it once. Like the pediatric urologist had only seen it once. The head of the OBGYN had never seen it. Um, so it was like and, extremely rare. Yeah, extremely rare. And so basically he just kind of like stopped growing. Like his body kept growing, if that makes sense. But like his, ex- like everything external stopped yeah, growing. Yeah. So like internally he was growing, but like externally he was not. Yeah. And we just couldn't, I mean, after talking with everyone, we had, they gave us a few different options. Um, we basically were told you can try to carry the pregnancy to term and see what happens. You can, um, go into labor now you can go, or you can, um, be put under and, uh, like surgically remove the baby. And, like after a lot of discussion, we like went home and we decided that like we we I I wasn't strong enough to continue the pregnancy, knowing that I was going to probably lose him or give birth to him and then lose him. Like that was like my fear was he was going to pass away inside of me, or he was going to I was going to carry him to 40, uh, 40 weeks, and then he was going to pass away after that, or he was going to be so severely disabled and damaged that. He wouldn't pass away, but I would have to watch him struggle and live in yeah. the NICU. So we um, decided to end the pregnancy, and that was at, it was really hard. They told us at 23 weeks, and they were basically like, you have seven days to do so, unless you want to go to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> so now, when you and your husband had time to just like get home, because you guys had already been going through it four weeks up to that, you know? Yeah. How, how did you guys, you know, how did you process? And like, I feel like seven days is so fast and there's never going to be like, you know, a right time. How was that like for you and your husband? Obviously you're so strong, but you must have an extremely strong man by your side to be able to, you know, he's amazing. Um, He's truly, like, so strong and so amazing. He took care of everything. Um, We had to, we had to move fast. And because it was also the beginning of COVID and everything was shutting down. And they said, you need to act now. Because if you don't, you don't know where the hospital will be. And um, we, so we had to go home, make a phone call, make an appointment to go into labor, um, gosh, like it, it was the very beginning of COVID. So it was the first week of shelter in place. Yeah. Everything was shutting down and moving to the main hospital. So we, we weren't able to get a hold of anyone that we knew that like we were told to because the phone lines were off and yeah. people were moving offices and we had to make all these decisions around like, well, how was I going to do it? It's like a three day process. And so we, um, it just was like so much. And my husband just like, he just took control. He, 
I didn't even know, but they basically told him he couldn't be there for the birth. Okay. And he fought with them for 24 hours. And he got, like, the head of chief whatever on the phone and was like, I am going. I will be there. Um, like, you are not telling me I, I can't. So they snuck him in an elevator and he came with me. And it was just, I, I honestly don't remember the time. I remember it was a Thursday that we were told. I was a mess on Friday. On Saturday morning, I made him take me to the emergency room because I could not handle my anxiety. They medicated me and they basically medicated me until Wednesday, my appointment. And then on Wednesday it was when they tr um, started to dilate me and they had to give me a spinal tap to do so. And then I was medicated all day Wednesday. I was sent home Thursday to go to wait until I was dilated enough. And then Friday we went in. So I was like highly medicated and my husband just and like falling apart, just to, like could like crying 24 seven, not sleeping, super medicated, really sick from the medication, really out of it. And my husband was just amazing. He just, he drove me everywhere. He took care of me. He filled my prescriptions. He gave, he gave me medication on a time schedule. He made me shower. He fed me. He brought me snacks. Like he helped me reschedule work appointments. He sent emails for me. Um, oh my God, you're so lucky. He sat next to me. And um, then Friday we went in and I went in at like 6 a.m. And then my body just wasn't doing what it was supposed to. And then they were worried for my health and my anatomy and my cervix. And they basically said like, we have to put you to sleep to do this. And um, like, we just made the decision together, my husband and I, that I would go to sleep and like the baby would too. And we both fell asleep. And then um, when I was awake, when I woke up, he was no longer inside of me and they brought him to me and we got to meet him and they confirmed the severity of his diagnosis and it was really bad. And they just gave us time with him and they took pictures of his like feet and hands and um, footprints and handprints. And then they... Um, yeah, they took him away. And the weeks after that were just like, I, my husband just had to take care of me. Like I was a baby, like he had to bathe me. He had to feed me. He had to give me my medication. He had to send emails for me. He just, he had to do it all. And having a strong partner is just like, I don't know what I would have done if he too fell apart. I know. I know. I'm so sorry for your loss, Alyssa. I know his name is Cole. Yeah, and it I'm was. I'm so sorry. Um, You're so strong. Just that you can be so open. And I'm sitting here thinking about, like you said, you know, you guys tried for a little bit and then you jumped to IVF and that was like the start of your trouble, you know, and... It's like, I know only good things are ahead for you, but something that I was thinking about why I also look to you as just so amazing is you've said something in one of your posts before about being thankful for science and being thankful for doctors because despite everything that you've been through and despite losing Cole, he's helped you and your husband be able to have hope to have healthy babies because of, you know, yeah. and I feel like that's so amazing that you're able to look at it like that and not to say that's the only way you look at it because there's so many 
different ways and emotions, but you're really just so brave and I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I have to be, like, we have to be, if we want to have a baby, like, we can't let this set us back. Like, we loved him so much, We, but the pregnancy was so hard that we never were able to celebrate him. So I feel like when I think about him, I have to think that, like, he taught us something that is so important. Like, this will no longer, my entire family now has been tested that's crazy. unfortunately, or I mean, not unfortunately, fortunately, I'm the only one that carries it besides <laughs> yeah. my mother and my mother is done having children. She's yeah. had three beautiful women. Yeah. Um, I have it. My sister's currently pregnant and her baby's okay. That's um, I, he's taught us this and yes, we lost more embryos because of it, but like no baby will ever have to suffer mm-hmm. again. And there's now he's been used for research. He's been used for, he'll be used for case studies. He'll be used in science. And to me, that's just so magical and special. And, you know, I'm so thankful for science because without it, if we just did this 10 years ago, we would Mm -hmm. not have the reassurance that we have now. And I know, you know, I just transferred again in June and it failed. And looking back and like, of course it failed. I was three months postpartum after a 24 week loss. Like, of course it failed. Um, my body's not even ready. Like even right now, my body is just like up and down. And so, you know, I, I'm just so thankful for all the medicine behind that we have available to us behind IVF. Um, you know, without it, I don't know where we would be. And mm-hmm. I just have to think of like what I'm grateful for. Yeah. And that's just knowing what's wrong because not everyone gets answers and we got an answer. Yeah, and that, that is really great because we can prevent it from happening again. Yeah. And that's so amazing that you were then able to like use that information with your sisters or if you have any like girl cousins and you know, if your yeah. sisters have daughters, like that's just, Yeah. So now how did you get through that? Obviously you never get over something, but like, how did you get through like the anxiety? I'm thinking of that picture. I promise I don't stalk you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking I've just, you know, I love your story and I'm so drawn to you just because of your amazing attitude and your openness with just your journey. And you just never know who you're touching and, who you already have touched, how did you get through the anxiety? How did you finally pick yourself up off the floor? How did your husband, how was he able to kind of get back to work and you were able to start taking your care of yourself? I'm thinking of that picture of your nightstand. And I think it was that post, like, I'm not always positive. Like I've had, and I was like, oh my gosh, cause that's definitely been my vibe. It's like, how is this girl so amazingly strong And then I saw something like that. And it's just like, she's been through everything, you know, how did you kind of like, what changed where you were able to be like, all right, let me put one foot back in front of the other and like pick myself up again. Yeah. So I was not okay. Like we lost the baby and I got six weeks off of work. My tech job gave me six weeks off, which was really amazing. Like I did not have to think about work if I didn't want to. Yeah. And I got a few days in and I was like, wait, I have to distract myself. And 
it was really bad. I would like medicate myself to sleep with prescription. And then I would wake up and I would, um, get through, like I would tutor all, all day. And it was at the beginning of COVID. So kids all of a sudden like had this free time during the day and their parents wanted them to do school. And I was all of a sudden available during the day, not just after school hours. So parents started booking like crazy. And I was like, I'm going to take this and run with it. So work got me through. Those kids got me through. Having to show up and be present and be, you know, happy for them is what got me through. Now, there were times where I would literally be so sick to my stomach and so anxious that I would have to, you know, go to the bathroom and take 10 deep breaths during the middle of a session and then pull myself back into it. Or I would be sick from the medication. And it was not easy, but like it got me through. And basically, I was heavily medicated for probably three or four weeks. Like my nights, I would take sleeping pills and my daytime, I would take anxiety medicine. And my husband would like time it all for me. I was, and then all this, at the same time, I was postpartum. So like I was grieving, but also in postpartum. So I was bleeding. I was cramping. My milk was trying to come in. I was taking drugs to keep my milk from coming in. I was taking cramping medicine. I was taking, I was wearing diapers. I was, you know, my boobs were like, engorged and hurting my hair was falling out like my stomach still had still has the line down the middle of it and was like shrinking back down um I just look back and like I was a mess I I it I literally I would like wake up take off my like postpartum diaper bathe like bathe myself medicate myself work for four hours my anxiety would hit at like 3 p.m. I would medicate myself like with a, a, like after I was done working with like a heavier medicine. Yeah. I would see a grief counselor, a psychiatrist. My nurses were constantly um, checking in on me. Like it, it was a mess. I was I was a complete mess. And I think one day the, the bereaved mother's um, um, therapist told me like how do you feel right now about your life and your day to day? And I was like, I feel horrible. And she said, you can't control what's happening to you, but you can control your day to day stuff, your routine. And that she, and I said, like, I miss my day to day routine. Like I feel like I'm a zombie right now. And she said, then start to implement small things back into your life. So I started to eat healthier, which was like a really big passion of mine. Then I started to go outside for walks Then I started to exercise. Then I started to talk to my friends again. Then I started to, and all of this was happening during shelter in place and COVID. So I was really limited with what I could do. And this really wasn't all that long ago, was it? It was only a few months. It was April. Yeah. Well, we, we lost him in March March 20th and last two weeks of March, I was like a zombie. I was like, those were the weeks I was heavily Mm -hmm. medicated and just barely living. Mm April, like, is when I started to get back into my routine. And then I went to the OB, or I mean, I went to my RE, and he said um, that things looked okay. I was still healing, but if I, if, if we wanted to try in June, we could. We had enough embryos left mm-hmm. that he felt okay letting me try if that would help me heal. Mm-hmm. And we got that on the calendar, and that just, like, I lived for that date. Yeah, yeah. I was like, 
that like I have to get my body back. Yeah. I have to get my mind back. I have to like do it for that feet date. And then um, that's like how I got through is just knowing that like I had another transfer coming yeah. up and I had to get back into my routine for that transfer. And then the transfer got here and it failed. And now I'm realizing that like, that wasn't healthy what I did. Like I pushed myself, I pushed my body and I didn't want more delays. And and that caused us heartache, more heartache. And so now I'm just trying to like, the grief still comes, like it ebbs and flows. It's never going to be gone forever, but it is easier because I'm back in my normal routine and I have like things that I'm implement to get me through. Um, but now I'm realizing that like your body, my body has been through so much. And when your body goes through that, it can't just bounce back. Like you have to give it time. So I don't know. I I basically got through with a lot of medication, a lot of help from my husband, (laughs) a lot of sleep, a lot of hope and scheduling like having something on my calendar with my RE. Yeah. And so those little baby steps that you started taking at first, like getting back to healthy eating, exercising, was that something that you had done like pre-infertility? Because that's the other thing. It's like when you start and when you go through infertility, you can so easily become wrapped up in it and it consumes you. Like you said, like once you got that date back on your calendar, then it was like, okay, now I have something to live for again. Like it can consume you. Did you feel like you had to force yourself to do those things or did you actually kind of start feeling better where you're like, all right, this feels good. Like I'm making my healthy food or I'm going to go get outside for a walk. Was it hard, but it felt good once you did it? Yeah, so I was really healthy and active in my pregnancy. Like, I cooked a lot. I ate really healthy food. I exercised almost daily. And before IVF, I was, like, on a super, super healthy diet. Exercised. I mean, it was my life. I love seeing all the food you post. You post, like, really (laughs) healthy salads. And it just, yeah, it seems like you're super into health and eating healthy. So I feel like that's awesome. Yeah. So it was like, that's what makes me feel good. And when you're going, like, you know, when you're postpartum, you feel like your body is just crap. Like you're mad at your body because it doesn't bounce back, but you're also amazed and like, you love it so much. And it's a hard like push and pull, but I was like, I feel my best when I'm eating healthy and I'm moving my body. So I just slowly eased myself into that. But then it was hard because it was like, I can't restrict my diet because I'm trying to jump into pregnancy again. And you know, like when you're pregnant, you shouldn't have a restrictive diet. And I was like, I can't work out too hard because I'm postpartum. And also I need to jump into another pregnancy again. So it was hard to find balance of like low impact Peloton rides, 10K steps a day, you know, healthy food, but like still try to eat dairy and gluten somewhat regularly. So my body doesn't, you know, go crazy when I'm pregnant. Um, but that's just like, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard because I couldn't push myself in a way that I was used to, but easy because I knew that that's what makes me feel good. And that's what would help me get back on track. Yeah. Now, what about your husband through all this? Because I feel like that's something else that's so hard is like as women and my husband and I talk about this all the time, but it's like it's our body and, you know, you're physically going through it 
And thank God, like, we do have such strong men because I can't, like you said something, like, I can't imagine if he had handled things emotionally the same way, it would have been a disaster. So through all of this as well, like, your husband is equally as important. How was he affected when he you know it's probably beautiful that he had to take care of you and step up for you but it doesn't change the fact that he had his own feelings and emotions around it how did he get through how did he process yeah so we learned very quickly that we handle with grief very differently I need to talk about it I need to um, discuss it I need to feel it and he needs to keep his mind busy and he needs to stay active and he needs to give himself tasks to do so that he doesn't just let his mind wander. So he threw himself back into work. He was back at work like three days later. It happened on Friday. He was back at work Monday. Um, He just really like took on everything like house projects, you know, during all of this, we needed a new roof. We needed new siding. We needed our house painted. Like he just jumped into yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, and he just kept his mind busy yeah. and he, he checked in on me and he, I would check in on him and he just didn't need to feel it like I did. Mm-hmm. He just needed to process it kind of more alone yeah. and in his own way. And so he still gets sad. Like we still have moments where, where he'll say, I'm, I'm really sad. Like Cole's due date was on the 15th and he was sad and he talks about it. Um, but I think for a woman, it's so different because I felt him inside of me. Like I was growing him. And for Steven, it's easier for men to just think of it like, okay, it was a fetus. Like it was our boy. Like yeah. we were excited and I'm sad, but like mm-hmm. it wasn't, real life yet like it wasn't what I couldn't feel it or touch it or Mm -hmm. see it yet so and I think he once from the beginning when we thought he had down syndrome Stephen kind of pulled away and he was like all right this is a medical issue I'm no it's no longer you know baby baby let's plan for this let's plan for that it's like this is a medical issue that we're dealing it was like all your joy you know and even once you go through IVF too you realize people that get pregnant on their first time whether it's a fresher they're so lucky because you realize how it doesn't always happen like that and most people don't have success the first time so it was like all that joy literally got stripped from you. I mean, you kind of made it through your first trimester and then it was just, you know, oh, wait a minute, all these, you know, little flags are coming up. And yeah, that had to be hard to process. And it's almost like you had to not rush it, but it was like a lot that you guys were hit with all at once. Yeah, I think like one of my best friends just got just transferred and it's positive and she first transfer um and I'm just like yeah. I can't believe it I like know. to me I'm so I'm like I'm blown I, away I when yeah. I see it works for somebody the first time I'm like they yeah. transferred at the exact moment you know they the embryo it's like it's really amazing when you see somebody that does have success the yeah. first time because you realize how freaking complicated it really is And I'm just, yeah, it it just feels so, I don't know. Like, 
we're over a year now since starting IVF. We don't have a baby. I don't have a period. It's MIA. We need a his, like an HSC. I don't know when that's going to happen. I I don't know when our next transfer is going to be, but like no one can take those frozen embryos away from yes. me. Like they are there. Yeah. And I know that my body can sustain a pregnancy. So yes, my road is like a million times harder than this woman who mm-hmm. just trans, you know, transferred once. I mean, she, she, of course, yes. like, has so much heartache and yes. like has been tortured as well. But like, you know, it's not the same. And I, I look at her and I'm like, I'm so thankful for that. Like, I am so happy for you, but my brain cannot comprehend it. And I feel so bad because my the first thing my brain does is say, be careful. Don't buy that yet. Don't do that. Like, why are, why are you buying a stroller at eight weeks? Mm-hmm. Please don't do that. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, but see, and like, that's exactly why I feel like it's so great that you are so open and that you share so much because for me, I think something that's come back to like bite me in the butt has been because we were so closed with our journey. I've like, I never thought that I'd still be going through the trauma of infertility. And so many people think like, oh, you, you get pregnant and then you have your baby and it's, and it's like, that shit stays with you forever. And it truly, like, I would have never thought that mentally it would do to me what it did to me, but you're exactly right. It's like, it takes everything away. Or even when you see it for somebody else, it's just like, you have all these little thoughts that go through your head based on your own experience or based on, you know, just what you know about IVF and infertility. And it sucks. Yeah. I think you know, my best friend got pregnant at the same time, um, last October and she just had her little boy and my other best friend got pregnant in December and she's about to give birth in September. And my sister got pregnant the month we lost Cole and she's about to give birth in November. And every single pregnancy has been super easy and natural. And I just like, I'm so thankful my, my best friend has her baby now in this world because I just keep thinking, like, I keep waiting for it from like for a text from them. That's like, you know, something's wrong or we got something bad on the scan or we're worried about this or we lost the baby. And I just keep waiting for the ball to drop. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, not, not everybody deals with this. Like it's not, but it's the trauma that I'm carrying around that I'm, you know, expecting other people to experience. And I'm so thankful they're not, but I can't help. I know. And feel guarded. And I was talking to my best friend last night who actually had a miscarriage with a natural pregnancy, her second one. And she was talking about how hard her third pregnancy was because she didn't connect with the baby until 30 weeks. And that was just, I mean, she had one, she had, she got pregnant right away with her first. She got pregnant right away with her second, had a miscarriage before 10 weeks, then got pregnant right away with her third. And just that middle experience of the miscarriage of a natural pregnancy so early on has traumatized her in a way that she's carrying that trauma with her, not only throughout her pregnancy, but now she said she connects with her second daughter differently than her first because of her struggles. And that was just that, that one experience for her. And imagine women who have 12, my sister-in-law had 12 miscarriages. Imagine, you know, it's just a therapist told me that the trauma of IVF is similar to the trauma of cancer. And uh, research has shown that it's comparable and you never, like, that's never going to leave your life. And then when you add grief on top of it, 
it's just, it's so much. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's like, there's, there's something to me that's so comforting. Like it's amazing. And your friend is so lucky that she, you know, anybody that is able to get pregnant when they try it's like you are lucky like not everybody you know you just really learn to appreciate and see to me it puts so much into perspective about the things that are really important but I feel like it's crazy to even your best friend who was able to conceive naturally having a miscarriage, just how something small like that affected her for her third pregnancy. When women like us going through infertility, going through the ringer, your experience, it's just, you you can't even imagine. It's been so comforting. I feel like the best thing about it is connecting with other women because it makes you feel like, it's weird, it makes you feel like a little bit better. You know, it doesn't take the pain away, but it's just something therapeutic about the support from people that can understand. And I feel like that's something else that's challenging is like, it's, it was always hard for me even now to talk to people who haven't been through it. Do you feel like that with your friends? Like, of course, they're probably awesome friends. But they just oh, don't, yeah. they don't get it. And it's like, if you got pregnant, like my best friend, you're getting pregnant on your first and then, oh, you tell me the month after you stopped breastfeeding, you got pregnant with your second. Like there's like jealousy and all those things that come along with that, you know? I always joke that when we lost the baby, I ignored everybody except for my IVF friends. Yeah. And my, my mom lost a baby at 33 weeks. Oh, um, wow. So I... She understands, um, yeah. but I connected with women who had weight loss. I found on Instagram, I posted, we have a mom's group in yeah. San Francisco and I posted and I was like, this is what just happened to me. Like just looking for support. And I had over 12 moms reach out to me and share their stories. And now they are moms. And that was like, just knowing that I was just talking to someone, even if we weren't talking about it. Yeah that understood was so important. And I can't tell you how many women I have DM me every single day that are like, I just stumbled across your page. This happened to me, whether it was at 10 weeks, 15 weeks, 20 weeks, 30 weeks, 40 weeks, stillborn. Yeah. Like, and they just want to connect. And I think they're like, you, you love your friends, but they will never understand. And I have a best friend who's a therapist and she knows how to talk. She knows how to help with grief, but she's pregnant and she got pregnant right away. And she's never, she'll never be able to understand. And I love her so much, but because of it, I've grown, because of this, I've grown apart from my normal, you know, day, day to day friends. And I've grown closer to the IVF community. It's my so, husband jokes and he says that he's like, you're ta- are you talking to your internet friends or your real <laughs> friends? And I was like, my internet friends are my real friends. Yeah. Like, these are my friends. Yeah. Like, they're amazing. Like, I love you guys. Like you women are the reason why I wake up in the morning and look at my phone and yes. I'm like, who's, how is everyone doing? Like, how did her procedure go? Like, yes. how is her baby doing? Yes. And I look at your story and I'm like, yes, like you did it, like you got through. And I I know it's hard for people to see pregnancy announcements and people to see living children um, and people to see like, you know, infertility warriors become moms because that's what they want. But like for me, it brings me so much hope and joy that like 
I may not be there to text you every day asking how your morning sickness is or how your toddler is doing, but like seeing it from afar is so inspiring to me. Yes. And see, I feel like that was, everyone is so different and I completely agree with you. And so you kind of have to end up doing what's right. And I was like the same way, weirdly, as hard as infertility was. I loved like secretly looking up people who could give me hope too because it's like that's really what I held on to was like oh they went through infertility for so long like they got their miracle baby like it can happen for other people too and it really does it gives you just that sense of like okay I can do this too or our baby is gonna come you know exactly I mean it's just like we're all we all want the end goal like yeah most people that I follow get it. Yeah. Some do have to go with donor embryos. Some yeah. have to go with donor eggs. Some have to go with donor sperm. Some have to go with adoption. But it's very rare that um, I see someone who is like, we did everything mm-hmm. we could yeah. and, and we're no parents. You're um, so right. And I just have to think that like, if these remaining six embryos, if they aren't the ones, I'll go into another, if we lose one more embryo, I'll do another egg retrieval. Yeah. Like, we will do what we need to do to have children. And for us right now, it's really important that we fight for the biological child. But if that's not in the cards for us after so many times, like we will go with donor embryos. We will go with donor eggs. We will, we will adopt. We will do something to make sure we have a child and like seeing you with your child and seeing these other women pregnant and seeing these other babies like that gives me hope. Like they were once Like, you were once in my position, and you got through it. And, yeah, it's like there's still so much emotion that comes with it to me, and a lot of it I truly feel is because I wasn't like you. I wasn't open with it at all. So it's like I fought this battle for seven years with literally only my husband, and I never would have imagined, like, the mental toll that it really took on me. But I was literally one of those women that never got a positive pregnancy test, no matter how hard I tried month after month. And so you get to a point where like, you really feel like something's wrong with you. And then I got to a point after my third failed FET, it was like, I'm just not going to get pregnant. My body can't get pregnant. Something's wrong with me, you know, and it's just this feeling of like hopelessness. And so when my fourth FET worked and it was the biggest freaking miracle, it's like once I got through and like having my, it's like, I just, it's you, you are, you just want other women to know, like, don't give up. I know it's so hard. I know it feels like it's never going to happen. Like I promise I remember, but like keep fighting and you'll get there and you will, you know? I think, yeah, I mean, that's just, it's, I can't even imagine going through this and not talking to people or not telling people like I just like you must have had so much both of trauma and grief but like now you're just releasing and working through and I noticed like I shut the world off like I don't answer other people's text messages I I felt like I've become like friends now check in on me just to see where we are with IVF (laughs) and it's never a good spot so I always try to put a positive spin on it but then that exhausts me Mm -hmm. and I no longer want to be the friend that's like yeah, check in on me. Life sucks over here. Yeah. So I stop responding. Yeah. But then I, I notice when I stop responding, I carry it all too inside. And so then you like need an outlet. And I can't even imagine. I turn to a lot of the chat groups and, and Instagram to connect with a really amazing group of women. Yeah. And 
I can't imagine not like going through this and not having that. I like, know. That's why I look up to you so much just from the beginning that you were so open with it. And even after losing Cole, as hard as that was being able to connect to other moms who experience the same, it's just like, there's no better form of support. And so I see that like mentally, I'm sure that you've, from where you were in, you know, March to now, you seem like you're in such a good space. Not to say that you don't still have hard days, of course, (laughs) and that you don't still grieve, but it seems like you have such a good perspective on it all, which I feel like is really hard and a lot of people would probably disagree with. Going through the same thing or maybe not even as challenging as, you know, you've had it. Yeah, I think I just told myself, like, you got to get through this. Like the more you let it bring you down, like you can't change what happened. You you learn from it. You're stronger from it. The more you let it bring you down and the more you dwell on the feelings, like the feelings come and I feel them and then they go. And the more that I sit and dwell on them, it, the harder I am on myself and my, my men, like my mental state, you know, suffers because of it. And if I'm going to keep fighting for a baby, I need to be my strongest and my happiest and my healthiest. And so that just requires me to like work through this. That required me to work through the stages of grief in a time that I felt was right to me. And some people may be like, I can't believe that you're, you know, not even six months out and or four months out, even like, and you're already trying or you already tried or you're like happy and you're actually in trying to enjoy life. Yes. And I'm like, what do, for me, that's what I have to do. Yes. And that's what works. But I I also have met women who have lost babies at fifth. I met a woman the other day at 15 weeks, she lost her baby. And a year later, she's still grieving. She's still having trouble. I I talked to a very powerful, powerful um, woman in the San Francisco community who is a doctor and lost her son at 23 weeks. She told me she had to take six months off of work and it took her two years to try again. And that's okay. Like, that's what she needed. And now she has two beautiful children. Yes. And I respect that so much. But like, for and so it's okay if you're not ready or if your timeline doesn't look like mine. But like, for me, I'm like a fighter and I'm like, I'm a planner and I am like, I need to know next steps. And for me, it was like, get your act together because you need to move. Like, you need to like try again. Yes. Now, where are you at mentally and even like with your anxiety, where are you now? So I don't really have anxiety attacks anymore, which is really nice. I never had anxiety before IVF. I never had anxiety before pregnancy. Same, same. It's destroyed me. And it's horrible. I I don't under, like... I, it's like, horrible. No, you're right. Just for women who have been dealing with this their whole lives, because I have barely been able to deal with it, and I've only been diagnosed with anxiety for six months. Like I cannot. Women are so strong. Yes. Um, well, you said something about but, having to take a break from some of your sessions to just go in the bathroom and like deep breathe for a few minutes, and that's so funny because it's a strategy and a tool that I use too. But it's like, how did you? How did you get to here from there? And now you're like, I don't even really suffer with the anxiety too much anymore. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I have triggers. Like when my best friend, um, announced her baby on Instagram on Sunday night, I had an anxiety attack. And then, um, I found out 
something about my sister on Monday that gave me, and she's pregnant and that gave me an anxiety attack. So I have triggers. My husband's really good at it. He like knows when it's happening and he like walks me through it and he's like deep breaths, deep You're breaths. So lucky, and yeah. I mean, I used to be like on the floor, can't move, crippled from it. And he would just hold me and be like, deep breaths. You got this, you got this. So he does that for me now. Like when he sees me getting anxious, he distracts me. Like he takes me out for walks. He knows how to talk to me when he has to bring up a subject that makes me anxious. Yeah. Like he had to bring up the subject on my sister on Monday. And he just, he knows how to talk to me. Um, and then I meditate and I read, I get outside. I mean, I still have anxiety, but I keep myself distracted. Like I work a lot. I work yeah. from like usually 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Okay. And then I work out. And like mentally, if I if my mind was idle, it yes. probably wouldn't be yes. okay. But because I've implemented, like I wake up, I make breakfast, I work, I work out, I work some more, I make dinner, we eat, we watch New Girl, yeah. I meditate, I read, I go to bed. So, so like that helps me. But I, like I said, I still have days. Like I just had an anxiety attack the other day, but yeah. now they're few and far between. And mentally I feel, I feel almost ready to try again. I feel like I need to just get through my, um, HSC surgery. And then I think after knowing that like my uterus is okay and my yeah. body's ready, like mm-hmm. mentally, like there'll be a switch and I'll, I'll feel hundred yeah. percent. Or as close to 100% as possible. Yeah, and I think that's so amazing that you even feel like you can tell that it's what you need, not only just physically, but mentally. And I feel like that's so important too is when it comes to IVF, we want that transfer to come, you know, in a few weeks. We don't want to wait five. And then let alone, I remember after my first one failed and, you know, the doctor was like, well, there's an ERA test you could do. And basically you go through a mock cycle and do everything else, but transfer. And it's like, that's the last thing you want to do is be delayed. But sometimes you realize that it really is what's best for you just overall. And I feel like that's hard to come to as a woman going through IVF or fertility treatments. You want that treatment you want that baby so badly and it's hard to be like okay let me just take a step back for a little bit and go with when I feel ready I talk to women about this all the time they're like I'm gonna do a fresh transfer no testing I want my baby and sometimes I just have to be like listen a delay sucks yes but a delay is better than losing another an embryo yeah and that's what my doctor said to me in the office in in June he looked at me and goes a delay sucks. It's not what you want. You've been fighting for over a year with me for this. We both want it for you. But I'm not willing to put you in a position where I think you're going to lose another embryo. Yeah. We will not lose any more embryos. We are, I am delaying you. This is what we're doing. It's going to suck. But time will pass. Yeah. You will be okay. And you will be you setting yourself up for success. Yeah. And um, I talk to people all the time, especially after COVID. And then, you know, they were delayed because of COVID and then cycles start back up again and they just want to zoom through them. Yeah. And I try to tell them, you know, I know you want it so badly, but if you, if you don't do everything that's within your power to set you up for success, then you're probably going to run into more heartache and that's going to be so much harder than facing a month with delay. Yeah. Like an ERA sucks. Like you have to go through that emotionally and physically that sucks, but 
it's probably going to tell you something yeah. and you're going to learn from it. And would you rather have a cycle fail, a real cycle fail or an ERA cycle tell you results? See, and that's why and you have such an amazing attitude just to be able to feel like that already because you also have quite a few embryos. And so some women would be like, oh, well, I have, you know, a bunch. Let me just transfer another one. But I feel like you're just so amazing for how you're able to look at everything, especially with what you've been through. Thank you. I just feel like my doctor has been really helpful too. Like he won't let me lose any more embryos. So I have no choice. And I just... Like the baby will come. We've waited this far, this long. Like, and and also, I think because I've been pregnant and I've carried a pregnancy for so long, yes. more than halfway through, I know how amazing it is, and I'm so excited for that. It's like, it's like you have a trip planned that you're so excited for, and you've been waiting for it for years, and you want it to get here, but then at the same time, you don't because you're so excited for it that like the buildup is so amazing. Yeah, that you know, like when it gets here, you're going to be so appreciative yes. of it and so thankful for it. Yeah, and you're gonna love it, but you want it to go so slow because uh-huh. you want it like just love every second of it. So I just keep thinking like, I try to think like, oh well, pregnancy is really special and look like this girl is already 14 weeks into her pregnancy and I haven't started mine and like you know hers is almost done and like then you know she's gonna deal with um postpartum and stuff and I know how hard that is so like I just keep thinking like okay like I have the fun stuff to look forward to you're so amazing I just can't get over how amazing your attitude is and I can't wait to be able to share this because I feel like you probably know how many people whose lives you're making a difference in. You just connect with different people, whether it's through your DMs or in your support group. And so it's like so many women are inspired by somebody like you. And I just can't wait to share this in the same way that you say like, I can give you hope seeing that I went through it for seven years and now have a little one. Like you're giving so many women this incredible feeling of hope and here you are still fighting for your miracle baby yourself well thank you I really appreciate that I feel like you know I try I try to just be as open and honest as I can because I don't want anyone to feel alone and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer I know my story is really really crappy but I want women to know that they're not alone and that you can get through everything. Yeah. Like you will get through it. Like you have to, and you will. And you know, there's hope Yeah. and you don't have to be positive all the time, but sometimes we get so sucked into the doom of everything, the doom and gloom of everything that it's like, I just hope that like my little things that I've implemented to try to keep myself happy and healthy and going can help others as well. Oh, definitely. It definitely does. So now I know you're waiting for your period to come. Yeah. What's your plan for your next transfer? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So I'm like on cycle day 38 today. Yeah. (laughs) normally have a 28 day cycle so yeah. that sucks so um, you're like where no idea where my period is definitely not pregnant yeah. the doctor's like pregnancy stress or travel I'm like haven't traveled outside of a 20 mile radius yeah. in like six months I'm stressed <laughs> every month all month and I'm not pregnant yeah so I I don't know what's going on yeah but um 
once I get my period on cycle day five, and I don't do medicated cycles, so my cycles are all natural. Okay. So on cycle day five, I'll have an um, a, an HSD, and so my doctor will put me under and go in and try, take a look at my uterus. We have some like calcium deposits from my placenta yeah. from the last pregnancy that we need to get rid of. And then we have, um, my lining doesn't look like it should, it's super thick, but the patterns, it should have three lines and it is only showing one, which is really concerning. So he's also going to check out my other uterus because if my first, if my, if my right uterus has been through too much trauma, then he wants to try for my left uterus. So that's, that's exciting that I have to, I know. I'm Um, like, God, (laughs) So, especially because my right is janky right now. So we'll see. And then as long as everything looks okay, I feel like he's under the impression, I'm under the impression that he's going to go in and anything that happens, he'll take care of. Yeah. Um, and so then, and then if it's fine, I think with my next period, I can start, um, I can start prep for my next transfer. So I would assume if my period comes you know, within a few days by the 10th, um, then by September 10th, I would be prepping for transfer again. I'm going to guess it's probably going to fall in October because I'm usually on 20 days of estrogen shots before the transfer. So if it's September 10th, it's probably going to be like end of September, beginning of October. So it'll be, um, my third transfer will be exactly one year after my, after my first transfer. Which was October of 2019, right? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so Sometimes, let's hope, like, let's pray there's no more oh, delays. I'm so excited for you. And it's like, I know you're going to get there. And that's what's hard, too. And it's like when you're going through it, and even now, like, you hate hearing people say, like, cliche things. Like, oh, you'll understand why when, when you look back one day. But it's kind of like there's something so true to it. Like, when you kind of get out of it for a little bit. It's like you kind of are able to look and see like, oh my God, like this made sense. Like this all kind of happened as it's just like the craziest feeling to feel like you can look back on certain things that broke you and it's like, oh, it kind of makes sense now, you know, as weird as that sounds. I look forward to like feeling that way Yeah, and being able to look back and just like, I'm going to love this baby yes. so much. And, and because you I, already... my husband jokes that I'm going to spoil the hell out of it. Oh, and yeah. We both are like very anti spoil kids. Yeah. And I'm like, especially being an educator, like, you uh-huh. know, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm yeah. just, oh, you love will. This baby so yes. much. You will. You will. And Every I... mom does. Yes. But... but it's just a total different type of appreciation, you know? But your attitude is so amazing, even the way that you're able to look at like, well, I can't wait to be able to experience all that again, because you know you're going to. And that's probably like the physical part of having your body ready is obviously so important. But people like you that have it figured out that like the mental is everything too. the thoughts that you fill your head with instead of you saying it might not work again or I'm going to have to go, you know, you're looking at it like. Look at all of these great things that I know I'm going to, you know, get out of this. That's amazing. This has been so much fun, Alyssa. I really can't thank you enough for just chatting with me. Yes, thank you for having me. I loved it. It's just so nice to, I mean, I know everyone talks daily online, but it's so nice to 
you know, put a face to the name and have a conversation and interact in just such an organic and fluid way. I honestly, I can't thank you enough. And I'm already sitting here like, I really hope we'll be able to keep in touch and talk again. Maybe a few months from now, we'll catch up on where you are in your journey. But I'm rooting so hard for you. And I just, I'm so glad that I found you, your energy. You're just, you're amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And as are you. I mean, I know you're on the other side, but you still, it takes a strong woman to be on the side that you're on too and to get through postpartum and to get through being a mother and to get through carrying all of that while also caring for a a little child. So yeah. And it's hard. And it's like, and a teacher. Is it? And it, and it is. And then you realize like, it, it doesn't really leave you. So we have one frozen embryo and I still sit here all the time. Like it's the hardest thing because you're grateful for the one that you have. And it's like, if he's all I ever, that he's all I ever need. But at the same time, I still think about, you know, our last frozen embryo waiting. And I'm so terrified because you know, you know, what could come from it. I sit here every day thinking about like, God, I really want to do another egg retrieval again. So it like, it never really leaves you, but you're able to just keep fighting. And it's people like you and people like me that just are able to, you know, it's like hope over everything. Well, if you want to do another egg retrieval, I always tell women, especially when they start to feel guilty about it, it's like, secondary secondary infertility well you had trouble with your first so I guess I don't fully understand the definition of secondary infertility but I don't you know you're you're dealing with like in my mind like you're getting a second you're still infertile and so you will be dealing with that even though you have a one child like it's not selfish to want more people who don't go through infertility um, you know, want more than one child most yeah. of the time. And we're going to fight for more than yeah. one. And I don't think, you know, it's not selfish for you to want to go through that again or yeah. to put your body through that again. Like you're fighting. It's a small price to pay for what you'll have life. You're so life right. Long. And I think, you know, you should absolutely do it. And if, if that's what you're thinking about and that's what's consuming your thoughts and yeah. if there's anything around it that's making you anxious, it's like, why not? I know. You deserve that chance. And I, I know women who do back-to-back just because they want more embryos yeah. because they're so terrified of losing so many. Yes. And, and you it's, just, if you if going through another egg retrieval will allow you to go into a transfer more calm, yeah. then you should absolutely try. And, and you it. said something to me that I'm now not going to forget, and you said it at the beginning. You said... There's so much that we can't control, but the one thing you know that you can control is those frozen embryos that are waiting for you. And you're so right. Like it's the one thing that you know you have for a fact and you're going to do everything to fight for them. It's like an insurance. And then it's not like you're wasting. If you only want one more child, you might, I know some women feel bad. Like, well, what if we get more than one embryo and then we don't use them? You can donate them to science. Or if you're, you're amazing. I'm, I'm, I cannot do this. Um, I, I think just after losing Cole, like it would be really hard for me, but you can donate them to a couple who I know. need them. And there's, there's so many options and it's not yes. like you're wasting embryos. And mm-hmm. honestly, if having those on ice for the rest of your life calms your anxiety and helps you get through life, then do it, go for it. Yeah. You're so right. I'm so glad that we got to talk. Cause I just, I really, I can't thank you enough. Just It's funny. It's like, I need the therapy too. And so this has been so amazing. And I I really, I can't thank you enough. Just it's, it's been so fun to talk to you. Our stories are so different, 
but yet you can still have so much in common with somebody and you just get it. So I'm just, I'm happy for you. I'm hopeful for you. You have an amazing attitude. So I really can't wait until I get to see that one day soon that you have that. fingers crossed. Definitely. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Alyssa, thanks so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye.